0: Turn with me now in the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Luke, chapter 18, beginning in verse 24. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle Than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, And the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of those things, these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, naturally we are in no better condition whatsoever than these disciples. And Lord, one would think that as the Lord Jesus Christ was directly in front of them, speaking to them, that they had a great advantage over us. And, Lord, we then ask for your mercy and your power that somehow, Lord, these things would not be hidden from us, but rather revealed. And this saying which is dark and this meaning which they did not grasp, Lord, would be granted to us that you would open our blind eyes and enable us to see it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning we focus on the text here in Luke chapter 18, just these few verses from 31 to 34 concerning this prediction yet again of Jesus' death and resurrection. And the introduction for it is really just what is said in verse 31. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. We have this picture. He was previously teaching to the the whole crowd, and now he takes his own aside and has something important and special to say to them. And the question is why. Why did he say these things? Well, I'm sure there are many things, and, and we don't know them all, and I could not enumerate them, but surely among them, would be to join up this line of continuity between the prophetic word of God and the events as they happened. Not only is that something that, that, that can happen and must happen, it shall happen, but it is something that ought to be seen to be happening. He wished to point out to his people as these things were about to be accomplished to remind them that they were prophesied, to remind them that these things were told in the word of God and therefore they would certainly happen. And that's a, a line that we should emphasize among ourselves. As we look for, as we go through the word of God and we see how these things have been perfectly fulfilled. And even, and even how these things are fulfilled in our lives. Because it's not merely historical events that are prophesied, but of, of the reality of what is to happen to believers in this life. Likewise, these things find its fulfillment and we should connect up those dots between the word of God and the things that are happening. So Jesus surely wants to emphasize that line of continuity. But secondly, and perhaps even more importantly, out of compassion for the disciples. He's like a parent trying to explain what's going to happen to a child who's maybe having to undergo some prolonged period of treatment. Maybe they have some very very treatable form of cancer and there's a 99% uh, treat, uh, uh, rate of, 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 of being healed from it but there's these long steps and some of them are very uncomfortable and a child would have no idea that these things are actually for their benefit and and they're trying to make sure it's less of a surprise and an offense to them by explaining what's going to happen and I think this is what the Lord is doing here It's about to happen. He knows it's going to be uncomfortable and distressing to them. And before it happens, he's explaining these things. But but they didn't understand. They didn't understand these things. Now, that strange blindness, that's one of the themes of the word of God in, in the Gospels. Particularly, I would say, in the Gospel of Luke, but really all of them. There is a continual reference to the fact, but they didn't believe. These things were said very clearly, but they didn't get them. These things, Jesus had said, let me just say, this is not the first time that he prophesies or foretells of his his decease and his resurrection, and it's not the last one. And it was strange that they didn't understand. But let me say, as we're about to see, not inexplicable. Not inexplicable at all. Because the whole point of this, of this sermon is that every word concerning Christ was to be accomplished and even that unbelief, even that blindness that was part of the word concerning Christ that was going to be fulfilled. All of it. From the mocking, the scourging, the death, the resurrection, and yes, even the fact that his people were not going to receive the word about him, the report given. All of that was going to be accomplished perfectly well the title this morning is every word concerning christ accomplished every word concerning christ accomplished and three points very simple every word concerning christ secondly will be accomplished and thirdly even this okay well our first point is every word concerning christ in verse 31 then he took the 12 aside and said to them Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. (coughs) And we have to say, what is he talking about? What things? Well, he enumerates them in verse 32. There's this list. He will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, insulted, spat upon. They will scourge him, kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Now, are these things actually foretold in the prophets? The answer is yes, they absolutely are. And we'll go through a representative list. First of all, delivered to the Gentiles, as found in places, various places in the Psalms. In Psalm thirty-one, forty-five, my times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Obviously, he is in the hands of those uh, who are persecuting him. He is in the hands of his enemies, and he must be delivered from them. And I would say that the picture that is given in the Psalms is that every enemy is involved. And so likewise, Christ was going to be handed over into the hands of all of his enemies, all of them. From the Pharisees to the Sadducees. They didn't even get along, but they were together in hating Christ. And he was handed over to the hands of the Sanhedrin, to to all the leaders in various and all their capacities of the nation of Israel. But that's not it because he was also handed over to the Gentiles. Now, both of them are obviously implied by this, because if he's going to be handed over, who's going to hand him over? Well, obviously his own people, his own nation. They're the ones who are going to hand him over to the Gentiles. And therefore, every significant group of, of, of enemies of whatever nation, they're involved in this, uh, in this terrible work. So he's going to be delivered to the Gentiles. He's going to be mocked and insulted. That's Isaiah 53. I hope we're all familiar with Isaiah 53. In verse 3 it says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. You see, that's what you do with someone whom you despise you mock them, you curse them, you insult them. That's one you, you, That's something you do with someone who you do not esteem, you have no respect for. You may have some who, whom you disagree with, but yet you retain a great, a great deal of respect for, and you wouldn't think then of openly mocking and insulting such a one. But let me say that that was not the case for the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no shred of dignity or respect retained for him, but rather all of his enemies and all of the common people joined in in this mocking and despising and insulting. That's exactly what was happening. Everyone was involved. Do you think of who was involved? Well, yes, the leaders were certainly involved in this. The, The soldiers were involved in this. But even the other, the criminals who were also being executed with him, the thief on the left and the thief on the right, they joined in the act. The passersby, those who passed by, they wagged their tongue, they shook their head, they, they insulted him as they went. Everyone was involved in this, mocking and insulting, this degradation. He was spat upon. It's great, most visceral, most visible, Show of disrespect and and hatred towards someone to spit upon them. But that, too, was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Yes, that was prophesied as well. And yes, that was utterly fulfilled in their hatred towards this man and scourging. Yeah. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. A chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And we are reminded, and we must not ever forget, that every last one of those blows, every last pain that came to him from the beginning of his time on earth to, his, to the very end, to his death, all of these things were part of our atoning sacrifice. None of them were worthless None of them were gratuitous. They all accomplished perfectly the redemption for his people. But part of that was surely the scourging. And I, I need not tell you that the Roman scourging was, was a fine art of, of torture. Some people did not even survive the scourging but were killed from it. The Lord Jesus Christ, he was truly wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And, and yes, the chastisement for, of our peace was upon him and by his stripes. Because there were stripes. We are healed. But of course, that's not the, the end of it. And the chain of the degradation and the pain and the torture carries on into his death. He'll be killed. And that's, of course, what Isaiah 53 goes on to say in verse 9. He was taken from prison and from judgment. That was true, too. Jesus didn't even enumerate all the many prophecies. We should keep that in mind, that there are other prophecies which happened, which he did not even bother to say, lots of them. He gave a representative sample of all the prophecies concerning himself. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. What does that mean? It's a poetic way of saying he was he was killed. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. Transgressions of my people he was stricken. It's a reminder again that this atonement had a particular object. It was not random. It was for his people, those People of God, those who would put their faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he was killed. That was fulfilled. But that's not the end. Because he also said that he's going to rise again. And that was true. And that was prophesied. And, and this, of all the things, this perhaps is the one which we, we search for the explicit prophecies in the Old Testament and we, we requires a little bit more effort. But let me say it's certainly there. In Isaiah 50 verse 7, for instance, The Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint and I know that I will not be ashamed. How is that possible when the prophecies of, in Isaiah 50 and 53 plainly say he's going to be degraded beyond all recognition? plainly say he's going to be perfectly into the hands of his enemies entirely in their hands to do with whatever they want he's going to be scourged most severely and also that he's going to be put to death he's going to be going to be separated from the land of the living he's going to have a grave how is it possible then that isaiah 50 verse 7 could possibly be true that the lord god will help me therefore i will not be disgraced what do you mean be not be disgraced seems like he was going to be disgraced in every way possible. The answer could only be one thing: that he's going to rise again from the dead. It's the only possible answer for how that prophecy could possibly be true if if, it's, if all the rest of those things are true, the only way it would work is that he'd be risen from the dead. The Lord God was truly going to help his son in the most dramatic and most complete way imaginable because on the third day he will rise again and he did they could do their worst to him and they did their worst to him and none of it would stand it would all be undone by the resurrection all of this shame all of this disgrace everything it would be utterly undone In the sense of, again, this intended disgrace. Of course, the marks remain on him, but they only add to his eternal glory. The whole of it, all of it, none of it was wasted. In terms of the the intended outcomes of what his enemies sought to do, well, those things were undone. They wanted to put him to shame, but the absolute opposite happened. Instead, what they did to him became the, the occasion then for the most glorious, the most honorable thing that has ever happened to anyone. That's what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ in his ra- uh, raising himself from the dead. No one came and raised him. He was raised. The Father raised him. He raised himself. The Holy Spirit raised him. It was the work of tri- the triune God. No man was involved in it. He was seen openly, and all that time, and he ascended up into heaven. The glories that were done, all that they did only became the occasion of his honor. They wanted to discredit him as false. But no, the opposite happened. He was vindicated in the most complete way imaginable. They, they pronounce his, the judgment against him. They say he's guilty. He's deserving of death. You need to crucify him. And so they do. They put him to death with the criminals. They mean to discredit him. But his own words concerning himself, that he was going to rise again the third day, happened precisely as he said. And he was rather vindicated and validated. They wanted to crush his potential movement, but the absolute <laughs> opposite happened. It sparked then his worldwide movement of Christianity, which turned the world upside down and continues to do so until this day. Their institutions are gone, there is no more Sanhedrin. There is no more Roman Empire, but the Christian church remains and is larger today by far than what it was a thousand years ago, larger by far than what it was in the year 100 and vastly larger than what it began on that day. They did not stop that movement in the slightest. Again, to pronounce judgment that he was a sinner, well, he was pronounced innocent by the Father himself. You see, death could not hold him. That was the thing. Death is, is connected to sin. Those who are sinners are going to die. If you die, you know one thing about this yourself. That you're a sinner. If you see someone else die, you know one thing. They're a sinner. In fact, all people, all people, all descendants of Adam by ordinary generation, we know one thing about ourselves and one another. We're all sinners. And therefore, death is right and just for us. But you see, death could not hold the Lord Jesus Christ because there was no sin found upon him. He was innocent and he was declared innocent even as the tomb, as it were, thrust him out because he had no place in it anymore. He was innocent and declared that way. So all the things that they sought to do, these were reversed because the Lord, in fact, did exactly what he said he was going to do in Isaiah 50 verse 7. He was going to help the Lord Jesus Christ and he would not be disgraced. He knew that he was not going to be ashamed and he was not disappointed. All these things concerning the Lord Jesus, all of them, going now to our our second point, all of them will be accomplished. I say again in verse 31, we are going to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. All of them. Now, let me just say, first of all, that this says something very useful and important about Scripture. Jesus didn't say the things that my father intended, which the prophets sometimes caught the basic gist of. No. He's saying the things which the prophets, and and he's not even saying, by the way, the things which the prophets wrote down and, and since have been lost, the things which you no longer have access to no he is absolutely assuming an unqualified uh, 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 co- correlation and equivalence between exactly the divine word of god and the the things that were written down by the prophets he's speaking to those who had read the prophets knew what they said and said that that's the word of god and all that is going to happen all things written by the prophets and let me remind us about the doctrine of Scripture. It is inerrant. It is inspired, every bit of it. None of it can fail whatsoever. There is no, no error to be found in it, and we should therefore believe it. But even beyond the doctrine of Scripture itself, it tells us about the nature of the Word of God. You know, our Word may or may not be accomplished. We've just given an announcement regarding the church walk. But what if the, and we say, we're going to have a church walk. But, but what if the weather is, is dreadful? What if there's something beyond our imagination that's about to happen and, and we have to cancel it? Well, then our word falls to the ground. You know what? Unfortunately, too often it does. Sometimes we change our minds because we make poor decisions and we have to revert. Sometimes we lack courage to carry out the good intentions that we've stated. Or we lack the power and the authority to carry things out. But let me say, not so the word of God. Not so. All of it will certainly be accomplished. That's, he goes on to say this in Luke chapter 24, 44. I hate to steal from that future sermon, but here's what it says. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Right? Not not just these things, I think they're going to happen, but that they must happen. There is a certainty, there is a necessity, there is an inescapable necessity that all the words, the prophetic word of God, must be fulfilled. Because in in the larger picture, that's the nature of God's word. It will happen. Isaiah 55, 9, very, very well-known chapter. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, that's not left undefined. That is true in a more general sense, right? We should understand. Let's not make a correlation between the way we think and the way we do and what God is because that correlation doesn't hold. He's much higher than we are. Right? But more specifically, it is, it is defined with regard to our word. And he wants us to know that, that the, the lessons that we learn from human word, which sometimes stands and sometimes falls, that doesn't apply to God's word. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth and make, make it bring forth and bud, that it might give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. It has to. It will do. There is no exception to it. Every single word which he's ever uttered will precisely uh, bring to completion the thing that he intends. Now, getting back to our text, we think of that list of things, in the first point that will be accomplished, some of it doesn't sound like much of an accomplishment, as it were. Right? We understand that it's going to happen, but he's using this word accomplished as if it's, it, there's, something, there's something good about that. Being mocked, being spat upon, and particularly death, which would seem to me to be the end of all of accomplishments. There is no more accomplishment in death. But again, perhaps these things are so in most cases. Perhaps there is no accomplishment in being spat upon in most cases. But in the case of the Lord Jesus, suffering and death were precisely his mission. That's what he came to do. That's why in Luke 9.30, if you remember that one. Behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. You see, his death was, in fact, the supreme accomplishment. It wasn't merely that these things were going to be fulfilled so that the word of God would be upheld. But indeed, these were the great accomplishments of the Lord Jesus. The the center of his activity, his great mission on earth were precisely these things. Yes, to be spat upon. Yes, to be in the hands of his enemies. Yes, to be scourged and And yes, to be killed. All these things were to be accomplished and his resurrection. The word of God would surely be fulfilled. The mission of Christ would certainly be accomplished. Thirdly, even this, right? So so we've said all these things written about the Lord Jesus Christ, and there are many of them. All these things would be accomplished. And let me say again, even this particular thing, even that moment as he spoke to the disciples, that would also be accomplished. Because in verse 34, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things that were spoken. It's very sad. In some sense, it's inexplicable. But it's all part of precisely that which we've already said. Now, this is an emphatic, repeated statement communicating the fact they didn't get it. They understood none of these things. They did not know the things that were spoken. And let me say again that Jesus foretold his death and resurrection on a number of occasions throughout the Gospels. Most of the time without comment. Sometimes he says it and there's nothing further about it. But sometimes there is added to it the response of the disciples and in every case, in every case, they don't comprehend it. So that we're, we're not surprised, by the way. When later they're not expecting the resurrection, we shouldn't be surprised. Because on every occasion that we have any reference to the response, they don't get it. Jesus tries to tell them. They don't receive it. They're, they're, they're blind to it. And therefore, we're not surprised when they're not expecting to see the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not surprised, unfortunately, when the women come with an embalming kit to deal with a corpse rather than the welcome sign saying, Welcome back, Lord Jesus, we were expecting you. Now it is mentioned as if it were a remarkable thing that they did not grasp what was said. It's happened before, but it's mentioned here as if it's a remarkable thing. And in one respect, it certainly was. They had been taken aside, these, the inner circle, the twelve, taken aside, and Jesus is saying something important to them. These, minus Judas, of course, these were the ones that had believed on him, the ones that had been taught by the Lord himself, and he spoke very openly and plainly. Sometimes he spoke concerning parables, in in parabolic, uh, typological language, which is hard to grasp even now sometimes. But now this time, he spoke perfectly clearly, without any parable, typological language at all, and they should have been able to understand his words. But they didn't. And we know, unfortunately, that they were still confused in their minds about the nature of his kingdom. They were still convinced that he was going to set up an earthly kingdom in this world. And maybe they were going to be his, his, his cabinet or his, his ministers. But they were still thinking about an earthly and political kingdom. And therefore, they're blind when he says something that doesn't cohere with their picture. Just a reminder, just a warning for us to please let our minds and expectations be shaped by the word of God. Because otherwise, we are in a a whole long series, an unending series of hitting our head against the wall when our experience does not meet up with what we thought and our prejudice should happen. But, of course, there is a crucial explanation within the text itself as to why it is. In some sense, it's explicable. In some sense, it's inexplicable. But the, the root explanation is this saying was hidden from them. And we'll say this again in the application, that spiritual truth is spiritually apprehended. And we are all naturally blind as bats. And if we can see at all, it is because the Lord has made it clear to us. The Lord has opened our eyes. It's like what Peter said in Matthew 16. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, well done, Peter, you figured it out. No, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. If you figured it out, if you know anything true spiritually, it is because, not because flesh and blood has revealed it, but because the Father has opened your eyes. And finally, it was remarkable, it was not remarkable it was explicable, and in fact, it was fully expected, because this was prophesied. This was part of the picture of what was going to happen to Christ. In the very first verse of Isaiah 53, what does it say? Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Because he's pointing out that even though these things are going to be prophesied, and Jesus is going to reiterate them more than once, they will not be believed. And the amazing thing is, at the end of the day, we cannot point to a single person who truly believed and received the report that was given. All these things that were going to happen, his 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 suffering and his death and his resurrection, there is not one who received that report. Who has believed our report? No one. And every word of Christ had to be fulfilled. Had to be accomplished, even that detail that his report was not believed by anyone. All of it was accomplished. Now, what do we do with such things? Let me say, first of all, as we turn to application, we need to think about the necessity, the need that God should open our eyes. We call that the doctrine of illumination, that God would would enable us to see what is true in Scripture. Okay? What do we say that not one of those 12 disciples grasped the things that he said? Again, we say it is not. We can't put that down to the failure of the teacher. Uh, we, we We can do that sometimes. Sometimes something is said and the gospel is presented, and the response is, okay, no one has believed it, the answer is clearly that we need to change something. The, the preacher needs to be more attractive in some way, and the message itself needs to be more relevant. We need to make it more relevant for the people. But let me say that's, that's absolutely not true. If you don't hear this word, if you haven't received this word, the reason is because you are blind spiritually. And that's the end of the story. And the reason if you, you have received it, you do believe it, you do embrace it, is because God has opened your eyes. Right? What they lacked was to have their eyes opened by the Spirit of God. And we know, yes, there's, there's a once and for all supernatural regeneration that brings us from blindness to some, some, some sight. But even as that miracle of the partial sightedness of seeing men like trees and then Jesus doing another work on him and then being able to see men clearly, that's the situation with us as well. We may see enough at the beginning to, to rope and to grasp and to, to, to grab hold of Christ in faith, but that doesn't mean that we see everything clearly. We must continually pray for illumination that we would receive these things in the word of God. Each and every time you read scripture, in your daily devotions, family worship, and certainly for our corporate worship, you pray that your eyes would be open to see these things, because without it, you won't. Okay, so that's application number one. Our eyes need to be opened by God. Secondly, we ought to be mindful. We should remember the great privilege of knowing the truth. Right? Because not everyone did. Not even the disciples sometimes. It's a wonderful thing, by the way, to see how all of this happened. We live in the time not where we are wondering, is it going to happen or not? I hope these things are going to be fulfilled, but we don't know. Well, now we do know. Every last one of these things, down to the last detail in every circumstance, absolutely happened. And what a privilege to know it. What a privilege. You should be thankful for this knowledge. You know, in the sense of those who, who have sometimes very good educations, those people who make it their business to acquire knowledge, and they prize that knowledge. They, they sort of, this is their great treasure in life, is that they have acquired a lot of knowledge about some particular subject. So we should at least have that kind of appreciation, but of course, of course far more so, because this knowledge actually transforms us. This knowledge through the power of the Holy Spirit makes us alive, brings us to, to, saving, to, to salvation in Christ, and it makes us more and more like Christ. And we should treasure up this privilege of knowing the truth. Thirdly, we should have total confidence in Scripture, because every promise has been fulfilled. Absolutely. Every last one. Jesus doesn't say, He doesn't head His bets. He doesn't say the basic idea you you see in this, you get the idea of someone who's suffering. I don't know if all that's going to happen. You know, this thing about being spat upon. I hope that's not true or something like that. No, every detail without exception, without qualification, is all going to happen because He's the one who said it. I don't forget the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal word of God and he is the one who inspired the prophets. This is written by him. He's the author of all of scripture. And he's the one who directs the steps of, of every human being who's ever lived. He's under no doubt that his word is going to be fulfilled. He had total confidence in scripture and so should you. So should you. Total, complete confidence. Every word has a force of law and God's word has even the force of existence. He speaks the word, the, the whole world into existence by his word. He says, let there be light and there was light. Our word doesn't do that. His word does. Every word that he says, it must be fulfilled. So have total confidence in scripture. And fourthly and finally, I would say have total confidence in God. You know, if he wanted to, I, I, God could have written out a list of things in much detail that would happen in your life he did that for the life of the lord jesus he did it for the lives of many others just go back and read first samuel for instance there's a long list of things that happened relative to the anointing and Saul coming to to power that incredible detail about various people that happened absolutely he could do that for you and all of it would happen but he's spared us the burden of such knowledge hasn't he the sort of things that happen to Christ for any one of us would be a terrible burden for us to know all of the sufferings that would eventually come to us. But we should carry on in the perfect confidence that the same God who knew, who foreknew and absolutely knew and, and, and ensured that all these things would happen, the same thing is true of you. Okay, and he has written some things. It's not that he's written every detail, but he has written some things. He's actually written some of the same things about Christ for, regarding his people. He said, by the way, you're going to be rejected by the world. He said, by the way, you're going to be persecuted. He he's said that. That's one of the promises. And ordinarily, yes, we're going to die as well. But what else does it say? That we're going to rise again from the dead. Right? Isn't that marvelous? Right? What else do you need? Okay, this world, there will be some suffering. There will be some rejection and persecution. There will be great joy in the church as we love one another. We'll be like all those fathers and brothers and brothers and sisters and so forth. All the rest of these things. It will be true. The Lord will sustain you. And eventually you're going to die. And then you're going to rise again. All the same things in principle. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look forward to it because we have total confidence in our God to do what he's promised let's pray gracious God we are thankful for your word we recognize, Lord that we've not always received it as we should we are blind and we, we ask Lord with, with great sincerity that you would open our eyes to see more of it and to believe it, and to rejoice in it. But Lord, what we see is that everything that was ever written about Christ, all of these things absolutely happened. They had to happen. And Lord, even the fact that this report wasn't believed, as he spoke it to his own people. Well, Lord, we're thankful that your word is so powerful. We're thankful that your promises always are fulfilled And Lord, we pray that we therefore go in the greatest of confidence in the word of God and all the promises, particularly the gospel promises made to us in Scripture and the God who stands behind them, knowing, Lord, that yes, uh, various things may and shall happen to us in this life, but we will rise again from the dead. You have said it. It will surely happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.